Alright, very cool, awesome. Before we get into Ephesians, what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew chapter 24. Alright? And it's going to help us kind of as we get into this theme because uh, if some of you have looked ahead, uh, verse 10 of chapter 6 in the book of Ephesians starts off by saying this, a final word. Well, I'm not to the final yet, so I'm not going to give you a final word yet, but I want to start with this. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples, so he's talking to his followers, and so um, he's also, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is something he's preparing us for, okay? He was preparing them, and he's preparing us. So let's go ahead and start verse 4, chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. This is why we're going to get to you. This is part of the reason. The Bible's full of reasons why you and I ought to be armored up. Okay, let's try that again. Thank you. Darlene, you are on it like a bonnet. This is partly the reason why Paul told the Ephesians church and God's word is telling us that we ought to be armored up. That sounds good. It sounds like a battle cry. That sounds like a war cry. We are at war partly. Jesus said, don't let, don't allow anyone to mislead you. In other words, you need to have your spirit or your sword, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And if you know the word of God well, you are not going to allow anyone to mislead you because you stand on the word of God. So when I say anyone, I mean Josh and I. I want you to know your Bible so well that when Josh and I, or if Josh and I, say something that's a little off biblically, some of you are asking us about it. Don't let anyone mislead you, Jesus said. This is why. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. I know that's probably not us. It's really weird. Literally, even today, people are coming saying they are Jesus in the flesh. I'm not kidding you. Google it. Have some laughs. It's just nuts. Okay, so hopefully we're not gullible enough to actually follow someone that says, hey, I'm Jesus Christ here in the flesh. All right. Um, I hope that's not it. But Jesus said it's going to happen. It's still happening today. He goes on to say this. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Jesus is telling this to first century Christians. All right? It's still applicable today, isn't there? Is nation going to war against nation? Are there famines? Are there earthquakes? Absolutely. Let's go on to say, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. We're living in the more to come days, okay? Because Jesus said this to first century followers of his. Verse 9 says, then you will be arrested. They were the first <laughs> disciples, apostles, uh, persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. 
and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Remember what Jesus started off saying? Don't let anyone mislead you. People will come in my name saying I'm the Messiah, they'll follow. Prophets will come and say, hey, believe this gospel. Hey, this is what God's all about. Hey, this is what the Bible really says. Don't be misled if it's not truly what the Bible says. It goes on to say, verse 12, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus said, hey, you got a lot of stuff that's going to come at you. This is why we're to be armored up. Because it's the one who armors up and is armored up and keeps armoring up. Yes, yes. that's good. It's the one who endures to the end that will be saved. That's what Jesus said. Remember, we've said this before. I got saved. I was saved. I am saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. We focus so much on one aspect of salvation that part of the battle that I want us to get at Truth and Grace is this. I don't want us to just be focused on a decision we made way back that started salvation. I want you and I to be armored up so that we are prepared to believe in Jesus and to know Jesus and to follow Jesus, to trace our lives after Jesus so that we can endure to the end, so that we can have assurance and we can know and we can know that we know that when Jesus comes back or when we die, we will enter eternity no questions asked. It's not that we work or follow or trace Jesus to get saved, to earn it. It's that we follow Jesus, we obey Jesus, we trace our lives after Jesus because we believe Jesus. That's why we follow. We cannot, biblically, we cannot believe in Jesus and not follow him. We follow because we've chosen to put our trust in Him. Because we believe He's the way, He's the truth, He's the life. And the Bible teaches when we confess our sins, when we believe in Jesus, when we put our trust in what He did for us on the cross, He sends the Holy Spirit and He moves inside of us. And when God gets inside of you, you cannot stay the same. You can't. It is a process. It's a process. You don't go from terrible sinner to perfection in one decision. You don't. But you do go from total sinner to starting to believe, to starting to know Jesus, to start to be convicted. Josh talked about that last week. Conviction, how that's good from God, not condemnation, but conviction to get more of us out and more of Jesus in so that we can follow and obey and go spread the word and go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples so that we can win this war. And I know, and I know that the Bible says we've already won. I, I know that, that's the end. But Jesus also said, he who endures to the end will be saved. 
that doesn't mean you just get to sit down and do nothing because the, the war's been won. We got battles we need to face. I don't know about you, but I got struggles and battles inside of me, internally and externally, that I just, I just sit on my, you know what, and I'm not armored up, that I'm going to lose many, many battles along the way. And in fact, I'm in danger of Jesus saying, my love growing cold because I'm no longer knowing Jesus or no longer following him, because that's giving evidence that maybe I don't really believe in him. Oh, but I do believe in Jesus, so I'm going to get to know him, so I'm going to get better at following him, and I'll obey him because I have chosen to believe. Does that make sense? Amen. All right. Okay. Let's, let's keep at it. Where am I at? Uh, John 3, 16. Believe, right? God so loved the world that gave one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We've got to get away from this unbiblical definition of belief that says it's just a one-time decision. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, so I'm going to just believe in Jesus. I'm not really going to change my life, but I don't want to go to hell, so I'm just going to believe in Jesus because John 3.16 says, if I just believe in Jesus, then I'm going to heaven, I'll not perish, and I'll have eternal life. But we have to match Scripture with Scripture. Jesus also said this. Some of these scriptures I don't have up here, so jot them down. If you're like a Berean, the Bereans took what Paul said, wrote it down. Well, I don't know if they wrote it down, but they checked the scriptures themselves to make sure what he was saying was true because they didn't want anyone to mislead them. And Paul says, hey, that's, these are more noble people than anyone I've ever preached to. That was paraphrasing a little bit. So I'm saying the same thing. Anytime... I share a scripture of Joshua's and what's not up there. Y'all, trust me, you, I want you to check in your Bibles. I really do. So John 17, 3, Jesus said this. He's praying to his heavenly father. He's saying, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true father, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So Jesus now, in John 17, 3, he talks about this relationship. That's why we say it a lot here. That's why it's one of our core values. We're not to have just a religion. Jesus didn't come to set up another religion. He came to teach us how to have a relationship with God, how to know him, how to know his voice, so that we could what? Follow and obey him because we believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, many people, that's Matthew 7, 21 through 23, many people on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord. Would you say those people would say they believed in Jesus because they said, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many things in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Would you say that those people would say they believed in God? Yes, but Jesus said, many people on that day are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to turn and say, depart from me. I never Amen. knew you. So to believe is to know, is to love, is to follow, is to obey. It's, it's all the same. Biblical belief is this. Biblical belief is a belief that our behaviors back up. It's a belief 
that our behaviors back up. In other words, if we say we believe in Jesus, we ought to bear evidence, give evidence to that by our following him, by our obeying him, that's evidence bearing fruit that we truly have a biblical concept of belief. Not this messed up, watered down gospel that's out there today. And this is why we're to be armored up. Okay, so maybe getting a tad farther, so next time you're going to have to do better. Uh, it's out there saying, ah, oh, just believe, get baptized. And it always is pointing us back to one decision. Man, following Jesus is an everyday lifestyle. Remember the gospel in five words? It's what? God, sin, Jesus, repent, life. It's not three-word gospel. It's not God, sin, I'm a sinner, Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Whew, I don't have to worry about repentance, and I don't have to worry about living a new life. It's not the gospel in three words. It's the gospel in five words. It's God created me. Sin separated me from God. Because God loved me, God sent Jesus into my life that if I would believe and receive and repent of my sins, turn away from the life I used to live and start turning towards God, I will now have a new life. And because it's a life, it's a lifestyle. It's living a life. The Bible says the just, the justified, shall live by faith, not make a decision way back here, should make that decision that starts a new life. Right? That's where we're at war with that kind of belief that's out there. I want us to stay sticking true to the word that says, no, the gospel is five words long. I know it can be more than that, but it is about God. It is about sin. It is about Jesus coming. It is about my repentance so that I can have new life in Christ. Jesus said, we won't make it into the kingdom of God unless we are born again. John 3.16, John chapter 3, read all of it. That's why John 3.16 is given. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I know you're a teacher of the religious law, but no one who's born of the water, who's born naturally, and also is born of the Spirit. It's those that are born again that will enter eternal life. That's what it's talking about there. Um, armored up. That's good. If you look in 2 Timothy, I don't have this up there either. Trust me, we're getting to Ephesians. Um, this is one of those weeks, and a couple weeks long, I have way too much material up here, but we're just going to go to about normal time. I, I'm going to do my best to make that happen. If you look at 2 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 3, you're going to have three words that are given that Paul's telling Timothy that kind of symbolize the Christian life. And those three words are this, an athlete, a farmer, and a soldier. Okay? So this ties into to Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. All right? So when you hear the word athlete, farmer, or soldier, let me ask you a question. Let me, let me say athlete, farmer, soldier. When you think of those words, do you think of only someone who made a one-time decision to start being an athlete or to start being a farmer or to start being a soldier? Or do you think someone who's actively 
an athlete, who's actively a farmer, who's actively a soldier. If someone said, hey, what do you do and you farm? And you said, I'm a farmer. Would you think that person meant at one time in their life, they made a decision to farm? How many would say, yeah, I would believe that? How many of us would say, no, I would say they farm. If they're a farmer, they farm. Now that automatically means what? At one time in their life, they made a decision to be a farmer, right? And since they made that decision, that's why they're farming. Well, when you hear the word Christian, let's stop thinking about just a one-time decision. The word Christian is a lifestyle. It's a new life. It's life in Christ. If I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian because, yes, it's true. At one time in my life, I chose to follow Jesus. But hopefully if I say I'm a Christian, I'm still following him, right? I mean, I went to school. I got a degree to be a high school teacher and a coach. What if I went around telling everyone that I was a high school teacher and a coach? Because one time in my life, I made the decision that that's what I wanted to be, and I got a degree in it. Would you believe me? You guys knowing what I do now, I mean, I coach and teach in some ways, but it's not high school students, right? That doesn't make sense. So again, I choose to believe in Jesus. Because of that decision, Jesus said, I can know my Heavenly Father personally. And because I learn more about my Heavenly Father and His love for me and His purpose for me and His will for my life, I naturally want to, I say naturally now that I've been born again, I naturally have this spirit within me that wants to follow and obey. At the same time, I do still have a sinful nature that's at war with the spirit inside me, correct? Okay, I, I, I got to do this. Man, I should have put this scripture in too. I didn't. I'm sorry. But, oh, thank you, Lord. Second Timothy 2 was the farmer, athlete, and uh, soldier. Eric, do you know how to pull up a scripture from, you know how to do that? Lori, can you do that? Um, the New Living Translation. Let's turn to Galatians, because this really is making my point. Galatians chapter 5, start with verse 16. New Living Translation, Galatians chapter 5. I want you guys to see this, starting with verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, right? Let's go on. Do we have the next ones? Sorry. Hang on. All right. Let the Holy Spirit, who at salvation, when we become born again, lives inside of us, let him guide our lives so that we won't do what the sinful nature that we have within us also. So we won't do what it craves. The sinful nature wants to do what? Evil. Evil. Which is just the opposite 
of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit, what? Gives us that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. See this war going on? These two forces are constantly fighting each other. This is why we need to be armored up. Because the spirit inside of you is always fighting against the sinful nature inside of you. And Jesus said, he who endures to the end will be saved. All right? Um, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. We all have good intentions. Good intentions is on the side of the evil one. It's not on the side of God. It's not. Because there's no fruit to good intentions until those good intentions have action behind it, right? Then there's fruit. All right, so let's go on. Verse 18. But when you are directed by the Spirit, this is why in verse 16 it says, allow the Spirit to guide you. You have choice. You have to allow Him to guide you. When you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Again, we don't have to follow those religious rules and regulations that the Old Testament Israelites had to follow. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. All of us have been here probably before and after salvation because we've allowed our sinful nature to win out over what the Spirit wants us to do, okay? When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, is this true? The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Paul says this, because he's already said this to the Corinthian church. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, Paul, nor I, am preaching here to get saved, you have to do all these good works. No, nope, we do these good works because we got saved, because we chose to believe in Jesus. And now Jesus says we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's Philippians 2.13, I believe. If not, I will find that for you. So we can't just get saved and not expect to keep repenting and living this life of following Jesus. That is a cheap way out, it's a wrong way out, and it's probably gonna leave us out. But if we choose to believe that Jesus did what he said he did, now I can know God, because I know God, I'm really gonna understand more about God and how much he loves me, and how much even when I fall, he's there to pick me back up. See, when we, you're gonna fall. When you, when an athlete, or a farmer or a soldier gets into athleticism, sports, when a farmer gets into farming, when a soldier gets into soldiering, for lack of a better word, <laughs> are they gonna be perfect at it at first? Are they gonna be perfect at it 10 years in? No. Are they gonna be perfect at it 20 years in? Do you think they'll be wiser about farming 
or their sport or war if they're 20 years in versus when they were two years in? Yeah, it's gonna look different. Your following and obeying Jesus is gonna look different two years in versus 20, or at least it ought to, because we all understand that athletics, sports, farming, being a soldier, if someone's that for 20 years versus two, it's gonna look different. Are both still gonna not get it right at times? Of, of course. But the moment they say, this is just it, I'm tired of falling down, I'm just giving up, I'm going back to not farming. I'm going back to, I'm quitting my sport. I'm going back to not being a soldier anymore. And I'm not talking about retirement because you get older. See, that's the battle we're at. Satan, when you fall, and I said when, we're going to fall after salvation. I don't care what anyone says, you're going to fall. It's just going to be a matter of time. Babies, when they're babies, fall as they're learning how to walk, right? And they get back up and they go at it again. Sometimes they fall hard. Sometimes it's painful. Same is true, true with our Christian walk. But the battle is, the struggle is, I'm not giving up. I don't care if I've been wrestling with the stupid sin in my life for 20 years. I'm getting back up. Every time I get knocked down, I'm asking my brothers and sisters around me to keep me accountable. I'm asking them to pray for me because that's where the power is at. That's right. Do we see the difference? Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep at it. And you don't have to worry about if you've lost your salvation or not, or if you even can, and all these theological things we get into. Are you following Jesus? When you fall down, do you get back up and you, you don't quit going to church, you don't quit reading your Bible? But if you do, you're now not bearing evidence or fruit that you truly had an authentic faith or belief. That's all that is. It doesn't matter if you believe you can lose your salvation or not because both sides would say, hey, if someone over here is just absolutely living in sin, they're not following God at all, but they said they got saved way back then, one side would say, well, they never got saved in the first place. And maybe the other side would say, well, they got saved, but they're turning and walking away and they lost their salvation. Both are out regardless. This is why if you and I keep our focus on tracing our lives after Jesus, I don't have to worry about losing my salvation no matter if it's even possible. I should love God so much, I want to follow him even when it hurts. Because he loves me that much. And it's going to hurt at times. You're going to feel alone at times. It stinks at times. But do you really want to go back to your old way of living, knowing where that leads? Man, I don't. I was more miserable then. More miserable. So I'm okay with my Christianity hurting at times. I'm okay with feeling attacked at times. Feeling alone at times. Because as I grow in my walk with the Lord, even when others maybe tend to segregate themselves, God never does. He's always there. Always. And like Job said, I might not know where God's at. I might not sense him. I might not feel him. But I know he knows where I'm at. 
That's kind of a paraphrase too, but you read through Job, that's what he says. I love that statement. I might not know where God's at. I might not feel God right now, but I know he feels me. I know he knows where I'm at. And I can rest in that truth because that's what the Word of God teaches me. It's 11 a.m. How about we get to Ephesians chapter 6? <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Let's get armored up. Okay. Let's pull it up there. Ephesians 6. A final word. Word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Here's the final word. Paul's writing to the Ephesian church. You can do a detailed study and find out all the crazy things that were happening in Ephesus. It's not really much different than the United States. I mean, it's really not different 2,000 years later for us. Paul says, be strong in, in the Lord and in his mighty power. Don't you dare try to follow Jesus on your own strength. <laughs> you don't have it. You need his spirit within you, empowering you. Let's go on. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We're at war. It goes on to say, we're not fighting against each other. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. That's why we're to be armored up. That's why these shirts are to help remind us, even if it literally means you put on a t-shirt, and it reminds you, okay, I got to put on the armor of God. Quick side note before we get into these individual pieces. When soldiers are equipped with armor, a good soldier also knows how to use it, right? So don't just put on God's armor. Don't just pray it on. Know how to use it. Know what each piece represents. Know what it means. Know how to define it. Know how to use it. Follow Jesus, okay? Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to what? Be full of his power, not your own. I'm tired for myself of saying, man, I just can't. Or man, I fall because I have this sinful nature. I'm just human. That's why I can't resist. I need it. I gotta have it. Whatever the case may be, it says here, if we would be intentional about putting on every piece of God's armor, we would be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Because I know some of you are thinking, sitting right here today, I I'm about to give up on this, man. I, I, I can't cut it. And you can't on your power, but I know you can and you will as you armor up. You can resist more and more. Yes. Thank you, Heather. With our love, Rhonda. Here's a word picture I have. 
And again, it's not to get cocky or prideful because we know that God resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the... That's why when you fall, it's good to confess to God and to someone else because that's a humble thing to do. And God says when you show humility, what's he do? He lifts you up. If you're like, oh, I, I ain't got a problem. Or, or no, this really isn't that bad. This isn't sin. I know... I know there's a couple of scriptures that might seem to indicate that it's sin, but, but God loves me. That's pride. God says, I resist pride, but man, I give grace and I lift up the humble. So here's this word picture I have. It's like of this storm that comes, comes and wind gusts and it just blow, it's blowing houses down and trees down. And there's this one firm stand in the oak tree. Just storm goes by and boom, it's still standing firm. I believe that's possible for you and I if we get more and more intentional about putting on the armor of God every piece and knowing how to use them. Not to get cocky and prideful. Hey, look at me. Remember, what's God do to that? You're going to fall. Pride always comes before a fall. So you can talk about how good God is, but once you start talking about how awesome you're doing, look out, brag on God and His grace, His mercy, His power, His strength, His spirit, His word, not your own. I'm just warning you, anytime we start standing firm and we think it's on our own doing, Paul's coming, that's what, Bible, that's what the Bible says. Stand your ground, verse 14, let's get in these individual pieces. Putting on the belt of truth, all right? Now, truth here does not mean this kind of truth, because what does, what are, uh, piece of armor is this? The sword, yeah, that's our offensive weapon. Truth here is really a better translation is honesty. Be honest. Put on the belt of truth. If you're not all that, don't act like you're all that. If, if you're falling into a sin, go confess to someone. Be honest. Don't hide it. Don't try to cover it up. That's the belt of truth. You don't have your belt on, what happens? <laughs> yeah, you get exposed. So you, you want to be exposed like God's way or your way. His way is better. Your way is a lot more embarrassing. Okay? All right. So... Be honest. Let's just be honest. Man, I messed up, babe. I'm sorry yesterday. Whatever. With your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers, with your boss, with your pastor, with your brother in Christ. Be honest. Um, and the body armor, some translations will say the breastplate of God's righteousness. What's that cover? Your vitals. Righteousness, quick definition. I, I just always use this and it sticks with me. To be righteous is, is to do what's right in the sight of God and to be what's right in the sight of God. You can do a good thing for God, but if your motive isn't one of the fruits of the Spirit, evidence, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, if, if that's not our motive, we're doing right, but we're not being right. So God's righteousness, that armor that protects our vitals, I want to do what's right inside of the Lord, and I want to have his motive behind me. I want to do right because I love people. I want to do right because his love compels me to do right. 
That's the motive I want. Not so that I look good. Not so that I can put a, a, a nice looking post on Facebook and everyone like it. If that's my motive, it's not being righteous in the sight of God. I know this is hard stuff. I don't have the strength to live by it on my own, but thank God, God's provided these tools for me that as I learn to use them, we can be successful. So belt the truth, uh, God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now let me say something here, and I, I hope this isn't too far of a stretch, but the shoes of good news is sometimes what, what I call them. We are to be taking the gospel to people, right? What's the gospel? Just remember the five words. God sent Jesus repent life. Okay? That's why we say this stuff over and over like armor up. That's good. Um, so before you and I take the gospel, we must be prepared. We must have the peace of God living in our own lives ourselves. If you start taking the gospel to people and you're spreading the gospel, you're telling them about Jesus and they see you like always anxious, always worried, always, you know what, fill in the blank. Let's not take them the gospel yet. Let's work at putting on the boots, knowing how to use them. Man, God, I need some more peace in my life. I still get so like this. And again, we don't have to be perfect, but, but let's get to a point where we're ready we're prepared to share the good news. Does that make sense? And if you've already messed up, belt of truth, just be honest. Tell your coworker, hey, I know I've been telling you a little bit about church. I've been telling you a little bit about Jesus and our relationship with God. And I know the last couple of weeks, man, I've been just very worried about stuff. Jesus doesn't want me to be worried, so I want to apologize if I've been a bad example around you. Man, that goes a long way to preparing their heart to receive the gospel. In addition, verse 16. To all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. What would Captain America be without his shield, right? I mean, gosh, what, what would we be without our shield? That's how we live, to just live by faith. That's a shield of faith because the devil's going to shoot some darts at us, some fiery arrows. And we need that shield watered down with the word. That's the sword of the spirit. Verse 17. Put on salvation as your helmet. That protects your mind. Can you be assured of your salvation? Can you be sure? Or because, you know, I, I talked about Jesus said the one who endures to the end will be saved. Does that mean we... We have to live our lives wondering if we're going to make it until the end. Does the Bible teach that we can be sure of our salvation? Yes. Looking for head knobs. Yes. Okay. Yes, it does. Let me ask you this. That passage or passages, I'm thinking of one in mind. I'll give it to you here in a minute. That tells you how you can be assured of your salvation. Does it say, hey, as long as you were baptized... As long as you said the sinner's prayer, as long as you went to the altar, does the Bible teach that kind of thing for insurance? What, what say you? No. no, it doesn't. 1 John 2. Let me make sure I'm right before I give you this, because this is an important one. Maybe I'll just read it to you. 
1 John 2, let me read verse 3 really quick. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Now again, match up scripture with scripture. The Bible right before that talks about if we sin, we have an advocate. So, okay, John knows we're going to fall. But I think it's warning us against this gospel that's out there. As long as we made a one-time decision, it doesn't matter how we live. Remember, that's just the gospel in three words. But we want the full gospel. We want not only Jesus to come, but I understand my responsibility to repent, to rely on his grace and his power, not just to forgive my sin, but to give me power so that I start sinning less, getting rid of more Jeremy and putting on more Jesus so I can live this life he wants me to live, so that I can be a vessel that honors him with my obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. That's what it says. So we can be sure. Back to put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Offensive weapon. Finally, verse 18. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere because we are to be armored up. Let me wrap up. Worship team, you guys can come on up and get kind of settled in here. Going back to our core value of accountability. Let me quickly read a few of these verses. Go to that next one, please, Eric. My dear, this is uh, James 5.19. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Listen to what it says in Galatians. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the, God, but is not the good news at all. Verse 7, next slide please. But it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Um, that wasn't the one I meant to read. But, but that works. <laughs> <laughs> Write this down, Galatians 5, 7, and 8. Check this verse out later. This goes back with accountability. This goes back with you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ. I know this is another thing we throw out this. So do not judge. We're not to judge anybody. You're right. You're not to send anyone to hell. That's what judging them is. But let me tell you something. You can check 1 Corinthians. You can check Galatians 5, 7, and 8. James just told us. If you know someone is professing to be a follower of Jesus and they're not following Jesus, out of love for that brother or sister, 
you can gently, lovingly go to him and her and say, hey, can I help? I haven't seen you in a while. I've heard you've been doing this. Hey, in a loving, gently way, restore them back to the fold. And let me tell you something. If you ever wonder and someone comes to you because they love you and points out some of your wondering, you have two choices. You can be mad, you can accuse them of judging you, or you can say, man, they are following the biblical instructions, brother to brother, sister to sister, and pointing out my shortcomings to come alongside and with humility pick me up and draw me back into the fold. And if they won't do it, I, as your pastor, need to do better at this. I do. If I was a literal shepherd over literal sheep, and one of the sheep wanders off, Jesus tells me, because he's the good shepherd, to leave the 99 and to go get the one. So when you sign that membership covenant at Truth and Grace Fellowship, you're telling me, I'm a sheep here. Jeremy, I understand you're one of my pastors here. And so if you wander off and you sign that commitment, because I love you, because I love you, I'm going to come find you. I don't care if you hate me. I don't care if you accuse me of judging you. I want to bring you back. That makes sense. Now, if you then say, oh, I've been going to this other flock over here, I'll say, awesome, great. Is there anything else I can do? Now, I'm free from keeping you accountable because you've submitted yourself to another shepherd somewhere else, and that's okay. I don't want you to leave Truth and Grace Fellowship, but if you made the decision and that's why, I'll respect it. But if I don't know why, or if I only hear from someone else and not from your lips, I've just now kept myself accountable because all the elders heard me say it, my wife heard me say it, you've heard me say it, I better begin some following up. Okay, so with that, let's stand, let's sing that song again, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, let's shout it, sing it like we are, armored up. <laughs>